0: Welcome to Catapult Future Fest Conversations, powered by the voices of the Catapult community, who are mobilizing capital, technology, people, and heart to solve the world's biggest challenges. Think of this podcast as a chance to sit by the fire and learn from a few of the amazing minds who joined us in Oslo for the Future Fest fifth anniversary gathering in 2022. I'm your host, Kate Byrne, co-founder and chief impact officer of Pupventure. Venture. What would a world where all are well look like? Well, that's exactly what Jules Chappelle of Kokoro, Diana Ring Krogh of the Lego Foundation, and the CEO of Catapult Foundation, Allison Fort, explore together. Now we're doing a whole switch, because now we're going to be talking a little bit about the importance of mental health and well-being, and how that can really plant a solid foundation for a gentler kindler, and i'm going to say a more effective world overall certainly one that's more sustainable and i can't think of a better trio to be bringing us into this conversation we've got allison fort who is the ceo of catapult foundation she'll be moderating and handling conversation with jules chapelle who's the founder of kokoro and then we've also got diana ringe kroeg i said it wrong it's the American in me. I'm sorry, but and so uh, Diane is actually the um, head of uh, collaborations. No, I'm off my game. Collaborations and social ventures at the LEGO Foundation. So, with that, ladies, take it away. Inform us. Enlighten us. Thank you, Kate.
1: I've got to say, I love being in the sauna. It's like my favorite stage in this whole venue. I mean, just look at this, the smell we're going to talk about, sort of health, well-being, surrounded by this beautiful place. And it's the last session of the day as well, which, again, you know, I think... We've had two days of great content, but just to be able to finish and close out and dream about a mentally healthy world, it suits me just down to the ground. So thank you, both of you, for coming, for supporting, and for leading us into this dialogue. So rather than doing, what's your name, where'd you come from, intros, we're gonna do a, we're here to talk about mental health, and I'd love you both to tell us about your journey to get you here, to be focused on this, passionate and working in the field. So my first 15 years of
2: career was spent as a British diplomat. And I was posted in Jordan, Iraq, Ethiopia, Washington, I worked with NATO, Guatemala, and nearly most of my time was spent focusing on conflict um, and sexual violence. And I did that kind of classic thing of worked unbelievably hard, but then completely burnt out. Um, And years afterwards was diagnosed with ptsd and i genuinely i didn't i didn't take it seriously because i was like you know all these people that i've worked with they can talk about ptsd because they've gone through some serious stuff nothing bad has ever happened to me i am a privileged person that's had all the opportunities like i i i can't have this that's just me being you know that it's just not possible Uh, But the more I learned about it, the more I started to understand secondary trauma, the more I realized that I had been living and helping and hearing all these stories that had stayed with me. And I'm a very empathetic person. I have a very visual head. And this stuff just was, it just wasn't leaving me. And I realized I was unbelievably angry, Um, just angry, frustrated, sad. And I started to understand the absolute value of mental health as as a thing in of itself Um, that it was affecting my ability to do actually what I cared about. I was less effective because I wasn't understanding my own mental health, so Mm. I couldn't help the people that I wanted to help. But I also started to realize that it's it's so integral to anything that involves human beings. So in all this time I spent as a diplomat, and I was literally spent hours sat around peace talks in rooms where... Literally, not once in fifteen years did I hear the word mental health, let alone talking about intergenerational trauma or the role that that might play. Mm-hmm. We talked about politics, we talked about resources, we talked about st- structures and processes, but mental health wasn't at the table. And so, having gone through my own journey, and it's kind of now I'm so steeped in it, it's like how did I have such a blind spot? But the point is, is that in all the processes, it wasn't just me; like it seemed to be a collective blind spot. And so now our work is to Get rid of the blind spot and we can talk more about that but that's my journey
1: amazing okay wow there's lots i could go into but i'm (laughs) going to go to diana first
3: so my journey started somewhere completely else i joined the foundation the lego foundation in 2014. in 2017 uh, i was part of establishing the social ventures team in the foundation and at that point of time and actually already from the get-go Children with special educational needs and disabilities was part of our focus area, and the reason for that was that we had gotten numerous uh, requests, ideas, proposals from around the world to, you know, colleagues across the Lego ecosystem, to our uh, board, to our owner family, and you know, with stories around how Lego had helped uh, autistic children, children with ADHD. Uh, older people with dementia, brain injuries, and so on and so forth. So already from that point of time, we knew that that would be a focus area for the social ventures uh, team. And our owner family was deeply passionate about this area. So the owners of uh, the Lego group, deeply passionate about this uh, space, and they continue to be there. Then, one of the first projects that we got involved in uh, was Lego Braille Bricks. I don't know if any Thank of you cool. know about Lego Braille Bricks, but that actually originated out of uh, that small team. And um, Lego Braille Bricks are modified Lego bricks, the uh, the very iconic 2 times 4 brick, where uh, six of the eight studs are modified to kind of uh, be the, the Braille uh, alphabet, and then two studs have been removed, to make space for letters, uh, numbers, and symbols for inclusion purposes. So very early on in that journey, I uh, went to Brazil and uh, had a conversation with a girl who was visually impaired. Lego Braille Breaks is about uh, learning visually impaired children how to read and write braille, but in a playful way. So in this conversation with this girl, she, uh, she told us about how she was using the Braille typewriter, but now had shifted to using Lego Braille bricks. And that was in the very early prototyping days. But what she found was that it could help her play around with language and play with words. And then some weeks later, we, uh, we started doing some, uh, some testing in Copenhagen, and we had a dad come in with his two girls, one who was visually impaired. And uh, she then also used the Lego Braille brakes. Um, and, uh, and he then saw how his two daughters actually interacted and engaged on equal terms, because all of a sudden they could talk uh, and they could play together. <laughs> and those two uh, situations were just very, very strong. Uh, and, uh, and I think they were also, to me, kind of a testament to the catalytic power of play to uh, to help both on learning but actually also inclusion so um, since that since those experiences we've been looking yeah. at how we can accelerate investments mm-hmm. to help children with special educational needs and disabilities and uh, we recently launched uh, an accelerator program uh, to do exactly that so that's one thing and then I believe as the Lego foundation I believe that we have a role, a really important role to play to use our voice mm. and also the power of our brand uh, to really speak to uh, the strengths of uh, neurodivergent children and also uh, how we can help fight the stigma.
1: And then I'll shut up. No, no, I just, see you are getting into all of the wonderful tools and work that you're doing, and I don't want you to go there yet. So let's just come back a little bit because the, the title of the session was thinking about what does a m- mentally healthy world look like? Let's just sit with those that phrase for a moment, because they're easy words to say, but sort of harder words to envision. And I'd love for you all to sit with that and think as well about what this, would, what this vision of a mentally healthy world looks like for you. But Jules, let's come to you first, because I know this is something you're working with, talking about. What's that look like for you? I fear I'm going to let you down, because uh, I don't
2: know. But I find it really exciting to think about what a mentally healthy world looks like, because... If you think just a little bit about physical health, physical health has had the most extraordinary revolution in the last 70 years. So if you look at global life expectancy in 1950, it was about 45 years old, looking at global trends. Uh, Now, so 70 years later, it's up to 73 years old across the world. I mean, that's astonishing in terms of understanding our physical health and also being able to expand the access to the support that we need to have good physical health. And yet, at the moment, one in four of us uh, every year will suffer a bout of severe, poor mental health that is sufficiently bad that it will stop you doing the things that you want to do. Um, Someone dies by suicide every 40 seconds. Um, These are astounding figures in terms of just how many people are affected, and yet we're at the very start of the mental health revolution. So Mm -hmm. we think what we've done on physical, we're at the very start of what that will look like from a mental health point of view. And it's really exciting because the brain health side of things is starting to move very quickly. So Mm. neuroscience is moving on in leaps and bounds. And for both professional and personal reasons, I recently had a spec scan to understand the health of my brain and i was mentioning that i was diagnosed with ptsd and i I frankly i didn't really believe it Mm. (laughs) actually i looked at my spec scan and the guy said right you see this 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 that's ptsd that's undealt with trauma i was like oh really man oh god um my husband joked that it should be on my tinder profile but um (laughs) (laughs) this is the future of dating by the way um you heard it here first But the point being that if you understand your brain health and you understand the bits of the brain, um, so this was done on blood flow, and it's literally, you can see the blood flow and you can see the, you know, and you can understand the chemicals, that then is affecting how you feel. But brain health and mental health are different. Brain health is how healthy your brain is and how it is functioning. Mental health is how you feel. Now, Mm -hmm. there is strong correlation. Yep. But the point being that now I understand truly my diagnosis, I also understand better how to manage that and how to deal with it. So just as you can have a broken leg and your mental health can be correlated to that, you can feel absolutely ghastly about the fact you can't go running and you can feel very down, or you can be managing it. It's the same thing. I understand my prognosis and I understand how to manage it. But being able to genuinely understand that correlation and understand the science behind it Makes it less, uh, like you know, unbelievable foo foo. It, it's it's the science is moving, mm. but what we haven't yet had is that revolution of understanding the mental health side and and also the access mm. to be able to support it. And and but sorry, last <laughs> no, question. No, but no, no. we all know the difference between us in kind of down mode, crisis mode, can't be bothered and us on our A-game, where we can think about big things, where we can brainstorm, we can collaborate, we can empathise, we can be imaginative, we've got energy. Mm. Think about if 8 billion of us were able to access our A-game, were able to think strategically, creatively, had the energy to get up and do something about it, and then think of the difference that that would make in the world sure. if we went through a mental health revolution like we've been through a physical health revolution. Mm.
1: But it's a really interesting point that, and do you think that's something culturally, that we need to see the X-ray, a little bit. Always, oh, so we need the doctor to tell us that there's driven, something, and, that's, so that, and then and yeah. then we can internalise it, work through it, and y- yeah, and so that revolution is happening. And I, I think there's a bit. I, I found it helpful, mm.
2: you know, I, and, 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 and yeah, I'd seen all the outcomes. So logically, yeah. intuitively, I knew it. But I
1: still was more convinced, having seen, mm. because as you say, we've been focused on physical health, right, right. right. So we're sort of used to sort yeah. of having sort of the diagnosis yeah. about which which bits. And what. yet,
2: the brain is our most important organ, and we know so little still. Mm.
1: Okay, so having all of these people that are on their A game.
3: Yep, that's your vision.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Do you, do you have anything to add, especially around children?
3: children on their a-game yeah no i think so to me to us a mentally healthier world I, I i'm with you like what does that even look like um but i think definitely it has to start with the children um, and if we think about the pandemic and what that has done mm. it has really robbed our children from the opportunity to both grow nurture develop friendships and if you look at, you know, a WHO survey, it, it also noticed that, you know, children's mental health services were disrupted in two third of 130 countries surveyed. Mm. That also s- tells us something, right? Mm. Uh, about our children and, and how they're doing. And then on top of that, if you now think about our education systems and how they are, we talked about that earlier, right? You know, education systems are kind of almost they are developed for the past, for previous times, right? And one of the things that I think we've become so aware of on the back of the pandemic or in the midst of or in the f- just before the next pandemic hits us, is that one thing is learning academic skills, which is important. Mm. Of course, that's important. But learning holistic skills, so skills such as critical thinking, confidence, resilience, collaboration, communication, is just becoming even more important because how else will we prepare, make sure that our children will cope, thrive, succeed in not only the future, but the world that is here right now. Mm. Um, so I think For sure. developing those skills and then we can come back to the tools yeah. because we have that as well. But
1: I think it's <laughs> I see that with my children and the schools, and I think we are getting better, so we're going to come and talk about sort of what's yeah. happening. So what are you working with? How are we going to get there? How are we gonna what get are there? the tools at our disposal or um, as you see them? So I, th- I always find it sometimes quite
2: helpful to compare um, movements. So mental health, how do we get to this place where, in my mind, everyone understands mental health and has the access to the support and services that they need to, to look after their mental health? That's a massive massive problem, like it's overwhelming in terms of the scale of just how little exists now um, and what is, what is needed in the future. So if I compare it perhaps to the environmental movement, because I think sort of 20, 25 years ago it was a similarly overwhelming problem where there weren't agreed global goals, there wasn't a sense of how, how do we get there, and actually that was almost part of the problem. It was so big and so negative that, that it was hard to crack. Um, Not only them, but there were a few philanthropists that put a lot of financial capital in the early days that catalyzed and kick-started a lot of the thinking that was needed, off the back of which companies, public sector were able to, to expand. Philanthropists can take risks that others can't always and so what we are working on is the kind of mental health equivalent. It's like, how can we get people putting in the financial and human, human capital needed and the risk needed to kind of follow something we think is intuitively pretty strong, but the data is difficult. Um, just as it was 25 years ago in the environment, and there weren't agreed standards, and there weren't agreed data points, and there weren't agreed goals. And yet now, it's obviously not perfect, but we pretty much have an agreed set of what needs to be done. And everyone can look at that and they can plug in their bit of the puzzle, because it is a massive puzzle. Mental health cuts across everything and everything cuts across anything to do with human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that's a, where we are, is, is working on that philanthropic bit as a, as a kind of starting place. Knowing that there are lots of other bits of the jigsaw, that um, we've created this thing called the Future Mental Health Collective, It's free to join, if anyone knows, philanthropists who are into mental health, but it's a global peer-to-peer network of philanthropists who are working on mental health across all sorts of different guises, mental health and and, um, violence, mental health and poverty, mental health and Mm -hmm. homelessness, you know, whatever it might be, um, but who are talking to each other and getting that momentum, getting that bandwagon to which other people can add their ideas and energy and, frankly, financial and human
1: capital. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, a collective... A collective. a collective, capital, being the first movers. Yeah. Okay, super. And then, Diana, you're more entrepreneurial and... <laughs> startups. <fun. laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
3: they bring the Lego. It's, it's always welcome. Um, no, I think I'll just take us a step back to the education or learning systems. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think what we're finding is missing is that, you know, we have education, innovations, and solutions are really lacking. And I think when we look at education systems, also what we see is that education technologies, methodologies, facilitation techniques, and whatever else we have, is oftentimes uh, adapted to and not developed for mm-hmm. neurodivergent children. Right. So what we see is really that there is a gap in terms of making sure that all children have equal opportunities to develop the breadth of skills that they need, mm-hmm. right? And um, that's where we would come in with play and learning through play. Um, so, of course, coming from the Lego Foundation, we believe that play is critical for children to develop the skills that they need. We know that children are naturally wired to learn through play. So, when they play, they're actively engaged, they're socially interactive, they are iterating, and so on and so forth. And through all of that, they learn. Mm-hmm. They develop skills. Not learn how to read and write, but they develop skills, right? Um, so, really, we see that innovative, uh, playful learning approaches can support um, children and yep. can support neurodivergent children and uplift their strengths. And that's also why we, uh, we kicked off the accelerator program, the Play For All accelerator program, um, a little while back, where we're looking to see how we can, again, focus on autistic children and children with ADHD, uplift their strengths, um, and also fight the stigma around uh, diagnosis. And and I think what's so beautiful about play is also that play is enabling children to learn in a style that is just as different and as adaptable as children are. Mm. So Mm. play Play. and the accelerator program. Play Mm -hmm. and the
1: accelerator program. Do you wanna say more about the accelerator program? Yeah, I can do that. So
3: we kicked it off uh, a little while back and the, really, as I said, the focus is on how we can uplift uh, children uh, with ADHD and autistic children. Uh, focus on their strengths. Uh, fight the stigma. Start to build an evidence base, and also uh, think about how we can build our voice and position within the space. And do that through investing mm-hmm. in uh, startups, organizations that either have a like either have a neurodivergent focus or are coming out of the EdTech community, uh, with a desire to integrate playful learning if they don't have it already. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Super. yeah. Excited
1: to see what comes out. So are we. Bring them, <laughs> you can bring them next time. <laughs> I'd like to see them in the Cutterport Future
3: vest. We have some of them here.
1: So, um, as you've both been talking, and I'm just sort of sitting there, I think that there's a lot of this discussion takes place in Northern Europe, in the Western markets, but I'm just wondering if either of you could speak about you know, what, what discussion is taking place across other parts of the globe. You know, how are they sort of approaching these themes of mental health?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, just to jump in on that, I think it is, um, it is very easy sometimes to think of it through a Western lens, because yeah. uh, mental health and development is absolutely hand in glove. Um, you know, if you read sort of WHO stats, the majority, I mean, it's it's everywhere, but the majority of the need is in lower income countries. Um, it's, you know, three quarters of people in lower income countries who have severe mental illness go without any treatment at all. I can't think of a comparable situation where you, there could be such a significant problem and, and it's just sort of not even talked about that it's okay that there's just zero, you know, help. Yeah. Um, so, it, it is not a West. It's a, it's a human issue. Course, <laughs> we all have mental health. We're all on a spectrum of mental health. Yep. Um, and, the prob- you know, it's just that it's so interlinked with development issues. Um, you know, for th- if you look at the, the correlation between sort of homelessness and, and mental health, very, very strong. Mm. If you look at the issue between poverty and mental health, it's, it, you know, it makes a lot of sense. But if you are as a... Any, anything that is requiring people to be resilient, there's a strong link between climate crisis and, and mental health. Anything that's requiring people to change behaviour, to be resilient, to um, y- you know, to cope with the stresses of life, mm. it, there is a mental health angle. So,
1: so, you're finding you're able to get to the mental health discussion through sort of other through
2: development. Yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's sometimes easier to talk about other um, metrics and passions that people are already established, and, so and to say if you are trying to reduce the transmission of TB and HIV integrate mental health services because it will help you get there faster Mm -hmm. than it is to win everyone over. To And it's not zero-sum. It's completely, when it's also integrated, it doesn't really matter what language you speak as long as people get the mental health lens that anything to do with human beings, mental health will be helping you or it will be hindering you. But you need to think about it so that you can work out which one it is and, and how to get people's mental health working with you, not against you.
1: Right. So it's really about understanding sort of countries' issues and then working with the right stakeholders, yeah. And th- which will be different stakeholders from place to place.
2: I, I should say, I mean, one thing that I do think has moved is, is the global conversation around mental health, and that, and that is just off the back of the pandemic. Okay. Um, I think, you know, you hear far less of, it's still there, but you hear less about stigma and much more the, can we actually now just focus on the support and how we get on with this? Yeah. And that's great because, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, as I say, that is, there are obviously still cultures and generations that for whom it is still massive. Yeah. But I don't think we can underestimate how much COVID has, mm-hmm. as a silver lining, jumped forward, um, just because so many people had lived experience. It's almost... Again, I hate to kind of make the comparison, but you know, cancer is kind of that thing where everybody either has had it or knows someone that has. Mm-hmm. I think mental health has got into that kind of scenario mm-hmm. where pretty much whoever you are and wherever you are, you will either have lived through it yourself and know how real it is, or someone who you love mm-hmm. or know very well has. Yeah. Um, and that that's kind
3: of the conversation moving forward.
1: Do you have anything to add on the global picture, Dana, from your perspective? No,
3: I think the only thing I want to add is then how important it is to engage communities. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think also that's what we've tried when setting up the accelerator program was really to think about how do we engage those with lived and professional experiences in communities mm-hmm. to make sure that we're not coming in with the solutions, but really that we're engaging um, deeply with, uh, with the communities. Also because we don't see ourselves as the experts. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's important to keep that in mind. Super.
1: I was interested to know a little bit about who you do work with and, um, you know, who still needs convincing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so if, uh, tell me, t- we had, I so My I, dad. Opened, I opened yesterday, <laughs> but I opened I yesterday- I have a made up job. No, 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 but I said, I said, you, we often do speak to those that just agree with us. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. I think sort of how we grow and how we learn is yeah. from speaking to those that disagree with us. So tell us about the contrarians and sort of what those conversations look like. Do you go? Um, i haven't like Lego?
3: <laughs> Great job, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone loves Lego. Um, I think maybe it's more in the in the uh, in the play, like when we talk about learning through play, mm-hmm. who do not agree with us right. uh, who do not see play as important for children's development and especially as children grow up, as you know I think we can all relate to when we have our six month old or two year old or three year old or five year old even that of course plays how they experience and explore the world and you know, figure out things. Uh, that is through play, but then you grow older and then you kind of forget to play, oh. as so many of us do. So I think it's, it's really the how do we convince others of play is, so, is still so important for learning, also as you grow up, also as adults. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think and I wholeheartedly
1: agree with that, and that's actually a big part of what we believe at Catapult Future Fest, we need to put the joy into this work. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. You know, what humanity are we working to support? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So hence why you're in a sauna and you will be <laughs> dancing in here tomorrow evening. <laughs> so we can lead with joy as adults and play, continue to play. How about you? Tell us about your father. Well, maybe you don't have to tell us <laughs> about your father, you, but somebody else. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's, that is a generational thing, right?
2: Where he's just like, you know, classic, stiff British upper lip type thing. Um, <laughs> I, I think perhaps the conversation that comes up more often is um, trying to make it zero sum. Uh, so it's like, yeah, mental health is important, but it's not as important right. as. Right. And so I had this conversation in the context of the conflict in Ukraine. Um, you know, this probably <laughs> 40 million individually and collectively experience grief, trauma, um, anxiety, depression. I, I mean, it's and obviously even beyond, not just in the borders, the refugee community, those of us watching it every day on social media, et cetera. Um, and the conversation went like this, you know, yes, but 637 hospitals have been destroyed. That's got to be more important than mental health. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying one is more important than the other, mm. but who is going to work in those hospitals? Those that have been on the front line who've suffered unbelievable trauma. And we can look at conflicts in the past and see... Um, it's not only about getting support to those who need it, but the timing is also important. Mm-hmm. If you can't get the support when you need it, the problems compound, and and you know that that's it's just it's so important. So I was like, you know, a hospital is its doctors, its cleaners, its its um, nurses, its administrators, a doctor. You know, a, a, you've got to rebuild people as well as buildings, mm-hmm. um, and it's not a, it's, it's not an either or. It's about um, recognizing its place at the table um, and trying not to constantly kind of make out that it's something that can be dealt with
3: mm.
2: later, mm. and then it
1: never gets dealt with. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's so damaging. Yeah, and had much, much longer consequences. Yeah. And yeah. Where do we have this sort of state, private, whose responsibility is it? Uh, you yeah, know, to move us forward, I'd love to sort of hear your views. It's interesting you say
2: whose responsibility is it, because sometimes I will hear people say, well, you know, mental health, that's a, um, a state... I don't think of it like that at At all. all. In the same way that I don't think of my physical health as just my state's responsibility. No, like I'll go to them if I absolutely need to, but most of it's day to day, and it's my and my family, and like you know, my I play lacrosse, covered in bruises, but you know, like it's my friends, and we keep each other going. And I think of mental health in the same way. And I think it's interesting because then coming back to your point about the global, there is so much innovation now um, commercially we're all probably drowning in, in apps. And I think it, it's a bubble that will settle down, but it's, it's, it's the market responding to the fact that the needs there and the public sector isn't responding. Yeah, um, yeah. And I do think it will balance out, but you know that it's about 2% on global average of public health spending is spent on mental health, to your point, despite yeah. the huge preventative and the correlation between mental and physical health. Um, but that, has, that figure hasn't changed in, in a long time, mm. uh, it's just not changing. Are so. any
1: doing better than others?
2: <laughs> Funny enough, Norway.
1: Norway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, like New Zealand, um, Australia
2: is actually quite heralded as, as putting more money into preventative. Um, but, like, even simple things, like, I, as, I think I'm right, Norway doesn't start um, school till six, seven, mm. which, bearing in mind, um, kids' brains are growing and they're sleeping. We shouldn't be getting them up. You're teenagers, their brains go through a massive spurt and they're grumpy because their brains are growing. <laughs> they should be allowed
1: to sleep. But, back, <laughs> but back our education's not set up <laughs> yeah. with mental health in mind. Um, but that's, that's back to sort of the, the physical and having yeah. that data again, right? Yeah. That sort yeah, of yeah, connection exactly. and exactly. of, you know, knowing yeah. those stats. And then you yeah. can start come from that angle. Mm. So I'm going to come mm. to you both with our final sort of questions mm. so that we can go and enjoy a drink before we head to dinner. Um, let's get specific. So three things that all of us here can be thinking about, can engage with, do, to head us towards this mentally healthy world? How can we all get involved? Okay, number one, Diana and I are doing a workshop tomorrow <laughs> with Lego,
2: <laughs> imagining a mentally healthy world. Come create it, because genuinely, it's, a, it's an open question. It's for us to create um, with Lego, so come to that tomorrow, because I genuinely, I'm so... C- I'm so curious to see what people create. What, what does a mentally healthy world look like? What does it mean to you? Uh, second thing is, coming back to the work that we specifically do with philanthropists, if any of you know anyone, it's, it's, it's completely free, it's a global network, I'm not trying to get anyone's money, but if you know a philanthropist who would benefit from being part of that network and would want to collaborate with others um, to move this whole agenda forward, please let me know. And then the third takeaway, in fact, the biggest takeaway really is, I imagine because of the nature of this festival and I imagine the kind of people you are, you will be working on things that you care about that are having positive impact. If they involve people, um, think about the mental health angle to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if anyone wants to um, brainstorm, chat stuff through, uh, please come talk to me. But we, we know that the data is tough and that is holding things back. So the more that we can build the evidence mm-hmm. of where integrating mental health has win-win outcomes... Um, that would be awesome. And so if any of you guys can help with that, that
1: would be bro. Perfect. And we will circulate details. And the workshop is first thing tomorrow. So we can go off. off Yeah. Yeah.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. 10 tomorrow. I love that. So now you've talked about the workshop tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I went first. (laughs) So um, I'll say help shift the narrative. Yeah. Uh, Really look at the strengths of neurodivergent. I'll say children, because that's where I'm coming from. Um, I think there is no such t- no such thing as normal, uh, and we have to shift that. Yeah. Um, it would be engage your community, really engage those with lived and professional experiences, um, and then I think the last thing is um, maybe it is coming to the workshop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to have fun with us, right? Yeah.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And I think it's being here, engaging, collaborating, sharing our stories as you've both done Mm -hmm. so beautifully. So thank you. Thank you so much. And please come over and talk to us. So come here. Thanks, everybody.
0: This is Kate Byrne. Thanks for downloading Catapult Future Fest Conversations, available wherever you get your podcasts. Look out for our next conversation, The Future of Foods is Alternative Proteins, I sit down with the founder of the Good Food Institute, Alex Myers, and founder of Hooked Foods, Tom Johanson. If you like what you hear in the series, join us in person at our upcoming Future Fest event in Oslo, Norway, May 31st through June 2nd, 2023.